Hi, and welcome to Kink Education, made by Kinksters for Kinksters and based in London, UK. This episode is about sexual health, so content warnings include some discussion of medical symptoms. Apologies if the language isn't always explicitly trans-inclusive. When editing, I spotted that we have sometimes just said men when we mean people with penises and women when talking about vaginas. But just to clarify, we're talking about all gender identities with whichever attributes they have. This one will be a little more fact and a little less opinion, as I think everyone needs to be informed about what risks they're choosing to take in their sex lives. More fun programming will resume next episode, although this discussion does mention the do's and don'ts of some vegetables, so you may find that amusing. As always, there is sexual content and swearing, so please can all listeners be over 18. So for this episode, I really wanted to put the education into kink education by talking about sexual health. And I'm lucky enough to have a very good friend who is a sexual health doctor. So she's a very useful person to talk to about this. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a sexual health registrar and I'm training in a sexual health clinic in London. So what kind of patients do you see? Uh, What's sort of the breakdown? Men, women, gay, straight, old, young? What kind of people do you see the most? So... My clinic's really interesting because it's a walk-in, so we literally get everyone and everything. Um, the patients do tend to be younger, and I can't really comment on whether they're having more problems or whether they're just better informed about going to clinics. I don't know that. Actually, most of the things that people come with, we see a lot of women with vaginal discharge that they're worried about. Often they've got thrush or bacterial vaginosis, which, you know, they aren't sexual infections, but that's a lot of what we see. Um, Women come with abdominal pain, and then we have to worry about whether they've got a pelvic infection, so pelvic inflammatory disease. So are some of those problems just in the same bodily region as sexual infections, or are some of them actually caused or exacerbated by sexual activity? So pelvic inflammatory disease is a sex- sexually transmitted infection. So that would be if somebody's had chlamydia or gonorrhea or some other bacteria without realising and the infection's gone up into the pelvis. So that's a consequence of untreated, more minor infections that have got worse. Yeah. So the other patients we see, so obviously we see male patients as well. Um, I think they tend to have less problems that aren't sexually transmitted so they do often come with symptoms of infections. Um, We see heterosexual men and also men who have sex with men who obviously have different sexual risks and come in with different infections. So how many people are just having routine checkups with no symptoms and how many people do have symptoms? So if people are having routine checkups they don't tend to get through to me because Right. to see patients with symptoms. Um, there is a good website actually, Sexual Health London, where you can order a self-test kit that will be delivered to your house in just a plain cardboard box and you can even do your own sort of finger prick blood tests at home. That's really so people useful. People are doing that a lot more. So in terms of problems that do have symptoms and do turn out to be something, what are the somethings that are so, most common? I mean, often women with vaginal discharge, we have to rule out sexual infection, but often it's thrush or bacterial vaginosis, and these are just caused by 
you know, using intimate washes, which never use, please. They are marketed as good for your vagina. They are not. Yes, I have seen a lot of people complaining about targeted advertising, implying that your vagina is dirty and needs extra cleaning, when actually it's very self-cleaning. And a weird flower smell. Yeah. Um, it's best just to use a plain moisturiser like aqueous cream. When I when I explain these problems in clinic, I say that your vagina has uh, three things in it normally. So there's good bacteria, lactobacilli, uh, the bad, in inverted commas, bacteria that cause a smelly discharge in bacterial vaginosis, and thrush. And they normally all live there, and that's fine, and they're in balance, and your vagina will clean itself. Now, things can knock it out of balance, so washing up inside or douching will upset this balance. The feminine hygiene products that we've talked about. Um, If you wear a lot of tight clothing and don't get much air to the area, that tends to benefit the thrush, which will then grow out of control. Some people that get a lot of bacterial vaginosis note that things that change the pH of the vagina will do that as well. So, um, semen and period blood. So for some women it's important to use condoms to avoid things that will upset the balance getting into the vagina. If they're sort of more sensitive to these things, Mm. condoms are an even better idea than they already are. Yeah, and the other thing to bear in mind is that um, lots of different chemicals can upset the vagina, you know, it's really sensitive skin, so Actually, I do see people who feel that lubricant is quite stingy and things like that. And you might have to try different products to find something that... Yeah, there's a wide range of lubricants and some of them will not agree with everyone. The other thing is um, condoms that are spermicidal, so extra safe condoms. Uh, There's a spermicide called nonoxanol 9 and that tends to irritate skin a lot, actually. And we don't really recommend that people use that one. So condom use is good for the vagina in terms of not irritating the inside of it as well as obviously preventing lots of infections so condom use is good for preventing fluids mixing that can cause infection and it also gives a bit of protection against infections that you can get from skin to skin contact now just to be clear some women find semen inside as a problem some women don't yeah, so the obvious, the most obvious thing for people with vaginas and uteruses is preventing pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And condoms are obviously, you know, 99% effective for that. So sure. that's obviously a really good idea. Um, they're also a barrier method to lots of infections that are carried in semen itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they massively fluid. reduce the risk itself. Yeah, so what, um, what infections are carried in vaginal fluid? So, well, all, all the same infections, that's how men get infections, that's how heterosexual men get infections from having sex with women. Right, and what about women and women? So, women and women, so we know that cunnilingus is quite low risk. Yeah. Um, we do see pharyngeal sexual infections, but from what I'm seeing, they seem to be more... That's a very with, long word, you're going to Sorry, throat it. infections. Ah, okay. And... It seems to be more when there's been a penis in the mouth and sort of more at the back of the throat. Yeah. Um, women and women, obviously things like scissoring, there's still a risk. Right, okay. But we do tend to see less 
women who have sex with women in the clinic. That um, does make sense. Yeah. Um, so which infections are from sexual fluids and which ones are from skin contact? Because okay. obviously the skin contact ones, there is really very little you can do mm-hmm. to protect yourself because condoms only go so far. They just go to the base of the penis, but you're touching a lot of other skin. So HIV, hepatitis B and hepatitis C, you can get through sex with sexual fluids. They are also from blood to blood contact. And the reason which I'm... can be risky, especially with anal or very rough vaginal because you might have very minor skin tears mm. internally that neither of you notice and or know about. just small amounts of blood there. Yeah, very small amounts. And the other thing that we warn people about is fisting. Yeah, that's probably quite a high tearing risk. Mm. So we would always suggest that people use gloves and obviously change gloves between... Yeah, latex gloves. Yeah. You can get very cheap latex gloves in bulk amounts off Amazon or eBay or wherever you want to get them. So they're really not a horrible expense. Mm. Do invest in some. Uh, then infections that you get through sexual fluids, so chlamydia, gonorrhea, um, trichomonas vaginalis. And so they, you know, you will protect yourself by using a condom. Um, although you can still get them in the throat, as we've discussed. Yeah. So whether or not people are happy to use condoms or dental dams. Um, and then there's the infections you get through skin to skin touching. So uh, syphilis is on the rise. Some people will have a sore, a chancre that's painless. They might not know it's there. And that's very infectious. So syphilis is skin to skin. Yeah. Yeah. So so through contact with this ulcer and, you know, the ulcer could be in the mouth, it could be around the bottom, it could be around the genitals. Wow. Um, and then there's obviously the herpes virus. Yeah. And uh, HPV, which is linked to genital warts and cancers. Now, HPV and herpes, I know that they're a lot more common than people think. And yet they have a huge, huge stigma just because they're sort of inc- incurable, as it were. Mm. Um, you know, once you've got the herpes virus, it's with you for life. But it's very largely dormant. So people who do have the herpes virus in their system, whether it's oral herpes, which gives you cold sores, or genital herpes, will actually not have that many symptoms over a lifetime. I mean, I know some people have one outbreak, maybe two, and they never hear from it again. Mm. That's more common with type 1 herpes, actually. Okay. Um, it used to be that type 1 herpes was around the mouth and type 2 was around the genitals, but with oral sex, you know, being very popular, that's not always the case They've now. just crossed over now. Yeah. They're... So, yeah, people with type 1 might often get a nasty first outbreak and then they're less likely to have subsequent outbreaks. People with type 2 might have a lot of outbreaks at first which gradually weans off and sometimes we need to put people on suppressive treatment for maybe a year or so just to get on top of the outbreaks so they're not having them. And are they contagious only during an outbreak or could you technically get them from someone who hasn't had an outbreak for years? So this is the problem. So the herpes virus you catch through skin-to-skin contact and again, you need kind of rubbing, you need like micro abrasions in the skin for the virus to get through. So through sort of sex, you're not going to get it from just like patting someone. 
Um, and then it obviously it causes the infection in the skin, you get blisters and ulcers, it's very painful. And then the virus goes to the roots at the base of the spine and just goes to sleep. Right. And then different things can make it come back and trigger it to come back as an outbreak. Some people know when the outbreak is coming and they get sort of a little tingling feeling before it's coming. And what we say to people is that you're infectious, you know, before your outbreak. So if you know that it's coming during your outbreak and then for a week afterwards. So that would be a good time to avoid sex because you're more infectious at that time. However, we do know as well that some people shed the virus even when they have no symptoms whatsoever. And probably that's how people are getting this infection often. You know, I see people that are quite surprised because they weren't aware that a partner had had this infection or any symptoms before. And some people might not even know that they've ever had herpes because they might have had one tiny blister somewhere and not even right. noticed it. So that, you know, and some people do find that difficult, the idea that they can shed it. So we we do explain that people should inform their partners that they've had this infection. Yeah. And the evidence is actually that if your partner's aware that they're less likely to get it in the future. But also bearing in mind that 70% of people have been exposed to the herpes virus. Yeah. So it is really, really common. And HPV? HPV, I don't know the numbers for. There are a hundred different strains. Wow. <laughs> uh, through skin-to-skin contact. So people, lots of people have been exposed to it. So there are two strains that cause genital warts, and there are two strains that are associated with cancer, and that's cervical cancer, but throat and anal cancer as well. So as well as girls being vaccinated with Gardasil at age 13, our clinic's also offering the vaccination to men who sleep with men under the age of 45 to try and cover them against HPV as well. Is that going to work though if you've already been exposed and you might already be carrying it? So you can actually clear the HPV virus. Okay. So when women come for smear tests, sometimes we see this HPV in the cells and then we just follow them up with repeat smear tests of few months later and sometimes it can be gone um, and having the vaccine can sort of encourage you to clear the virus as well. That's really impressive but there is a huge huge stigma around herpes and it really annoys me. Uh, I mean I don't have it as far as I know but like you said I could be carrying it and mm. not have any idea about it um, and I'm, I've definitely had partners who have informed me before anything happened by the way i have had herpes in the past okay and that, um, that's to be commended that's very good yeah. that they're, they're explaining that to you that's that's really responsible behavior although i mean i may have had partners who knew that about themselves and chose not to tell me or they might have carried it and as you say not had enough symptoms to even be mm. aware yeah as i said 70 percent of people and uh some people have had cold sores and that doesn't carry the same stigma, even though it's the same virus. Um, if people have had cold sores, they are slightly more protected against getting genital herpes, but you can still get both. Another thing to mention is the only way we can test you currently for active herpes is to do a swab of a lesion. So people need to come to the clinic when they have a blister or an ulcer. Um, some people come and want a blood test for herpes. And that's generally not very helpful because, as I said, so many people have been exposed to the virus 
may may or may not have had symptoms. So would you say that basically herpes and HPV are things that people kind of overreact about because they are so much more common than people think and the symptoms and the effects are really not that much of a problem or you know they're very temporary they're kind of treatable they're not going to ruin your life yeah i mean with with hpv i think people need to get themselves vaccinated i think that's really important and i'd recommend that everybody that can does yeah that's definitely the best option if it's an yeah. option <laughs> with herpes people do get very upset they worry about whether or not they can have sex again and that's fair enough you know it's very unpleasant to have a herpes infection especially the initial one if they have a nasty first outbreak but after that there are going to be years and years of your life where you're symptom free and I really try to say to people that they can have a happy normal sex life afterwards. If people are really worried about transmitting it some, that's another reason to get put on suppressive treatment so some people take acyclovir long term that's an antiviral medicine and it will reduce your chances of passing it on as well. That is good to know that that's available. Um, the other thing we haven't mentioned is genital warts, yeah. uh, which is also from the HPV virus, um, but different strains, not the cancer-causing strains. So it's important to remember that if someone has warts, they're not going to make you more likely to get cervical cancer. They're just annoying. So people come in, <laughs> you know, they don't, they're don't. they unsightly. No one wants to have a wart, but mm. they're not dangerous. And we can treat them. We have creams, we have solutions... The old treatment is sort of freezing them off with a cold spray, which we can still do, but we don't have to do. So they are pretty treatable. Um, so just going back to the fluid infections, mm. uh, so gonorrhea and chlamydia are the big ones. And I know there's lots of government schemes, especially for sort of 18 to 24 year olds, mm. because they are unfortunately probably the least informed uh, and are quite, can be seen as quite a promiscuous age group um you know they're just discovering their their adulthood and their sexual freedom and maybe don't make the most informed choices because sex education in this country is not that amazing then again we've got an older population and they don't know much about sexual health yeah they? that's very true um yeah it's not like sex education used to be better <laughs> it's uh it's getting better but it started off pretty much non-existent so yeah, yeah, I'm sure the, the older generation don't have there are STIs are on the either. rise in the older generation as well. Um, the statistic is that one in ten people between eighteen and twenty-five may have chlamydia. Um, so we just recommend reg regular screening. And that's really dangerous because I think it's it's one of those things that operates in the background with no symptoms. I don't know if I'd label it as really dangerous, but I would say I just mean dangerous in terms of not realizing you yeah have it. Pe often people don't realize they have it and then you wouldn't want something to happen like a, f a female person having it for a while and then it developing into pelvic inflammatory disease which can then affect your fertility in the future yeah i know that it does uh, affect fertility without you realizing it's happening so regular screening is the way forward and condom use obviously definitely so a very high risk group traditionally is men who have sex with men. Mm -hmm. um, is that because they, well, the perception is that they uh, have a lot more partners, but is it also because, I mean, is it true? And how much of it is 
purely about partner numbers and how much of it is because of unsafe sex? So men who have sex with men are a higher risk group. They, some men who have sex with men don't always want to use condoms uh, and that's their choice but obviously we try and advise them other ways to be as safe as possible. There are things like the saunas in London where people can meet for, for uh, sexual partners just then and there and they may have group sex. Um, and then there's also apps like Grindr where people meet up for sex as well. Yeah, it's getting increasingly easier to find hookups. Mm. And not just for gay men, although I think Grindr really set the tone. Um, and since then, there's obviously loads of apps for all genders. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, so they're hooking up with people they don't know that well. They don't necessarily know their sexual history. They're not necessarily going to ask. Mm. They are asked. They're not necessarily going to tell the truth. Mm. Um, and people are still choosing to take the risk of not using condoms. Yeah, and obviously I would advise to use condoms and that they protect you against infections, but we also have to be realistic and know that people are going to do what they want to do, and us just sitting here and saying, use condoms, use condoms over and over again may not solve that problem. Um, One thing that's come about in the last few years is the evidence about pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. Yeah, also known as PrEP. PrEP, yeah. And that's taking uh, an anti-HIV medicine either every day or there's a special regime you can take around when you're going to have sex. So, for example, if people know they're going to have a big weekend, go to a sex party, something like that. It's very good at preventing HIV and you can find out a lot more about it on a website called I Want Prep Now. (laughs) Good name. Um, Although because HIV has been, you know, the most... Uh, publicised sexually transmitted infection ever really Uh, and because we're getting increasingly good at preventing it and treating Mm. it do you think that's made people complacent about all the other infections? So I mean it's fantastic that people are getting protected against HIV in ways that suits them and in ways that is acceptable to them. Uh, We have seen rises in rates of other STIs with this like gonorrhea and syphilis Um, so it's really the person bearing in mind that there are still risks out there and what risks are acceptable to them. The other thing that we're seeing at the moment as well is a lot of antibiotic resistance in gonorrhea so at the moment we do have to treat it with an injection of antibiotics um, just to make sure there's a really good level of antibiotic in the body and we do tend to take cultured samples as well to grow the bacteria for any... So if it's on the rise and it keeps going round and round people just because they think they can treat it and it will go away but then if they catch it again that's is that just causing more and more problems in terms of treatment resistance? Well I don't I mean I don't know because you're not necessarily going to make the gonorrhea resistant by getting it treated and then having it again. It can be difficult because people do need to abstain from sex after a sexual infection and so sometimes we do find situations in in all people where they've not quite waited the time period after right. being treated and they might have sex with their partner again. And so a few times we've had to retreat people with antibiotics, um, which can be a bit difficult. Yeah, abstaining from sex is a big ask, mm. I think. Because we do say even without, 
even don't have sex with condoms because you know condoms can break and things like that so you are supposed to abstain until your treatment is finished so all of that is pretty universal to people just having sex with each other really um kinksters do have some other more specific things to them they are probably more playing with more toys and equipment and fun things that more vanilla people don't use okay. uh even though you did mention fisting but yeah there's a lot of insertables that people use mm. and i'd say it's a really good idea to put condoms on them just because condoms are sterile absolutely and uh to be honest it just is a very good shortcut to not needing to clean them as well because you just rip the condom off and the toy's pretty clean underneath you just yeah. need so to share, rinse it obviously sharing sex toys is a risk it's the same yes definitely you know a penis going in that area so um that's always a good idea to either use one each or change, change condom condoms between. between people i suppose if you're using quite large toys or weird shaped toys you are taking a slightly bigger risk of minor internal tears mm. and then with that you know you've got the possibility of small amounts of blood and more sexual fluids uh, adding to the mix and also in terms of your own comfort, so taking things slowly, lots of communication, yes. using lubricants, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the most dangerous thing you can do with sex toys is um, not use them properly and, you know, try and shove them in without proper preparation. That's mm. definitely going to damage you. There's probably no such thing as too much lube, although you do need to be mindful of whether you need to use water-based or silicon-based mm. with various toys because some of them some toys are yeah. silicon some toys are silicon silicon lubricant but silicon yeah. lubricant is generally better it's superior to water-based lubricant normally yeah it is more oily and slidey and more useful um and obviously then we need to mention things that you shouldn't use with condoms so oils butters massage oils vaseline will all break condoms yeah so do read the instructions on your toys and on um, the lube and see what agrees with what. I guess the other thing with toys is misadventure. So occasionally, unfortunately, toys get lost. Um, we do see, I mean, I don't do this sure anymore. Sure, that's a lot of people's worst nightmare. But the occasional patient in A&E who's something's been lost in their rectum. Um, I think that's probably more common with things that aren't designed to be used as sex toys because yeah. I know most things that are, are marketed for anal use have a certain shape They've got, you know, a tapered shape and they've they got something at the end. They've got a wide a base. You need you need something to make sure that you're going to be able to get it out again. Mm. Yes. Otherwise, you are going to get yourself in trouble. The other thing, so uh, apparently if you use a cucumber, <laughs> uh, the plastic packaging on, you know, like the shrink wrap, yeah. can be quite damaging to your bowel because it's quite sharp at the end. Yeah. Um, but if the wrapping isn't on it, even if it got lost, it would eventually get soft and come out. So always unwrap your cucumbers. Before you stick them up your ass. Good Absolutely. advice. So there's other medical specific play that people do. They use needles and insert things into not just the, the traditional orifices, but also the urethra with urethral sounding and having Sterile equipment is very, very important in both mm, those things. Definitely. I don't know much about these, but I would say with needle play, anything that might cause blood loss, just be very careful about mixing of blood products. 
make sure your equipment is sterile and in date. And with urethral sounding, I've got some experience in this area, you have to use the right, use special sounds that are designed for that. I really wouldn't recommend sticking anything else in someone's urethra. Um, but you get basically these little metal rods um, which are the right shape. So they're either straight or they're very slightly bent in. You have to sterilize them first. So you put them in boiling water and handle them very carefully. Clean the area before using them. Uh, use lube directly out of the bottle so it's as sterile as possible. And when people look at urethral sounds, they sometimes think, oh, that looks really scary. I'm going to use the thinnest one possible. That's actually really not a good idea because the thinner it is, the more likely it might be to accidentally pierce the skin, which is the most horrific thing to think about. So, so when you're looking at urethral sounds, look for ones with a nice blunt end. Uh, and even though you do want to use quite a narrow one, don't go for ones that are like pencil lead thickness because that's actually going to be more scary. The advice I would give for starting it is, yeah, lots and lots of lube, make sure everything is super, super clean. And like any play that involves inserting something, take it really, really slow. And also with urethral sounding, if it's going into an erect penis, then it's best if that person is lying down the penis upwards and then you can just hold it gently and let it slide in and let gravity do the inserting. That's usually the safest way. But I don't have a penis myself, so I can't really comment on what the actual sensation is. But I've been told that it's uh, a bit like getting a hand job from the inside, which is an intriguing thing. So once you've got a sound inside, you can just kind of wiggle it gently. And apparently that's quite pleasurable. But that's quite a niche fetish and it's not for everyone. So I just thought I'd give some advice for people who are into it. But anyway, so moving from that back to more common things, uh, a lot of vagina owners in particular will get UTIs quite often if they are having lots of rough sex. Cystitis is quite a common one. And yeah, I think people who have a lot of sex tend to notice that they get those a little bit more often. Yeah, it can be very frustrating getting urine infections. They can be quite painful. So urine infections are caused by germs from the bottom coming forward. So wiping from back to front is bad. So always wipe from front to back. But I mean, it's not um, it's not a case of having bad hygiene practices. It's no. just a case of when you're having sex. So having and sex, everything gets moved around. Yeah, you know. I think the, the term from the sitcom coupling where... The character of Jeff describes sex as doing the squelchy is quite apt here because when you're just rolling around in bed with someone and everyone's got their genitals out, just basically, you know, sexual fluids get everywhere and, you know, you're going to be exposed to bacteria that you wouldn't if you were keeping it in your pants. And the, I think the in-out movement as well can encourage uh, things to go up the female urethra, which is quite short. And very near the vagina. Mm. And bearing in mind as well that if there's any anal play, um, try not to then move to the vagina or wash or change the condom in between. Yeah. Um, peeing after sex is a really good idea because that will flush out anything that's made its way up there. 
Um, other general UTI prevention tips are drinking lots of water and not holding it when you need to pee, just going straight And away. cranberry juice as well, this can be so preventative. Cran the evidence is mixed, but some, some people do find cranberry juice helpful uh, to prevent urine infections if they drink it regularly. Yeah, so even though cystitis and urinary tract infections aren't something people give each other, they are things that you can end up having a lot more of if you're having a lot of sex. So thanks very much for talking to me. I know you had to be in your official doctor capacity and give your official advice rather than any fun personal stories. But I hope that it's been useful. You definitely used some long words <laughs> and uh, mentioned some official science facts, which are very important for everyone to know. So thanks very much. You're welcome. And um, all I will say is have fun and be careful. Good, good sign off there. I also want to be a bit self-indulgent and play a song from a show I really like that's on Netflix. It's called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and there's an episode where the protagonist gets a UTI from all the sex and her boyfriend is a little bit proud of this somehow because of all the sex and she's like, it's not a good thing but okay. But it's a really funny song so I will play it now. What's that burning feeling? Every time you pee, well that's how it goes after you have so much awesome sex with me I gave you a UTI Yeah, I gave you a UTI My sweet love injection caused a urinary tract infection I'm just that good, I didn't even try, try, try I gave you a UTI Okay, so it's not really a comment on the quality of the sex as much as a lot of sex has been happening and there's just a very natural transfer of bacteria Don't to Don't ruin this for me! That bladder information is my little gift to you Yeah, sometimes chicks need medication after what I put them through Come on, sing with me! No, I'm not gonna do that. I gave you, I gave you a UTI A UTI Yeah, I gave you, I gave you a UTI A UTI so good at sex, your maiden ship got wrecked. My penis is the reason you may die, die, die. I gave you a UTI. One night with me is pure ecstasy, cause I know just what you like. But you should know for a week or so you won't be able to ride a bike. Sorry if you have to cancel that spin class. I'll pay the cancellation fee because I know a lot of times you have to book this specific bike in advance. Anyway, I gave you, I gave you a UTI, a UTI, not an STD, no STDs, just to clarify, if it hurts to take a leak, well that's just part of my technique, what has two thumbs and gave you a UTI, this guy, I gave you a UTI, I gave you a UTI, I gave you a UTI.